I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the Royal Horticultural Society's Gardening Podcast. If you've listened before, you'll know that we're passionate about gardening and all things green. Each episode of our podcast is packed with practical seasonal advice and interviews with people who love plants. We share our thoughts, ideas and research into all aspects of horticulture, from growing onions to orchids, rubber plants to raspberries, and of course those perennial problems like snugs and snails. So, whether you're a horticultural veteran or a novice, in our podcast there's something to interest everyone who loves gardens. I'm Jenny Bowden, a member of the RHS Gardening Advice Team, based here at Wisley in Surrey. Later in this podcast, we'll be finding out about some of the exciting opportunities our education department is offering to adults to pursue their passion for gardening through learning. And we'll be speaking to some of the increasing number of people who are taking the opportunity to retrain and to pursue diverse and rewarding careers in horticulture. But first, time for your questions. One of the many benefits of being an RHS member is that you can send your gardening questions to our expert advice team via phone, post or email at any time of year and we'll try our best to solve your problems. So, let's meet the team to discuss some of the questions you've sent us recently. Hello, I'm Lee Hunt. I'm the Principal Horticultural Advisor here at RHS Garden Wisley. I'm Becky Mealy and I'm also part of the advisory team. I'm Dr Hayley Jones, an entomologist in the RHS Plant Health Team. And who has our first question, please? I've got the first question for the day. Uh, We have an email from Miller Tarr, who's in Acton, and uh, they say, Given the recent worrying reports of low air quality in parts of London, we were thinking about planting a tree in our front garden. What trees would be suitable to best combat air pollution and suit an urban environment? Well, um, it's clear that the message that plants can help about air pollution has got through to Miller. And I think we need to sort of temper and understand what that actually means. So um, plants can filter out the small particles. And these are things like um, from even just the breaking down of the road surface and that dust and it then tends to stick to the plant so we're talking about rough surfaces being particularly useful so rough leaves rough stems so that the plants that have those characteristics have the best chance of actually trapping those uh, particulate pollution now how does 
what does that mean in plants choice well you can go along and really feel most things and if they have those characteristics you could choose them so there's a relatively unlimited aspect of this and the thing that they're going to do best is help control pollution very very localized so these effects are not going to work down the street it's going to work best if they're actually close to the area you want to actually clean up it obviously helps but it's only going to help so far. So I just want to moderate people's expectations. These are not going to um, necessarily make huge difference, but they do make a good contribution. Uh, as well as choosing a, a tree, and I'm thinking about something here like a sorbus, uh, which is a rowan tree, and they have beautiful berries in the autumn, often quite corrugated and hairy leaves. Um, they don't usually get too big. They're all classed as a little tree, so it would be about... Um, 10 meters or 25 foot in about 25 years um, a lot of people will say that's too big if it's too big for you then go for a hedge hedges of course create barriers between the road and your front garden or your your paved area where you've got your car so that they help filter out the dust coming towards you and again um, actually this is where conifer hedges get a really good bill of health believe it or not so they were labeled as big ugly things but just keep them trimmed small at least once or twice a year but they've got all those rough textures that will do the particulate trapping for you uh, likewise you can use U, which is a slower growing version it's not quite as um, rough but because uh, the leaves are quite smooth and glossy um, but they only need clipping once a year so that's the next best bet so we've got an email from N. Peterson. I have an ugly and very deep straight concrete path down the garden with a flower bed on one side and a lawn on the other. It is hideous and very, very deep and thick. Seems a bit of a major building job to break it up, replace it. So I'd like us to soften the edge with plants that might grow over the edge and make it look less of a straight line. Any suggestions? Um, my friends mentioned saxifrage and Archimilla mollis. Would these work? And yeah, I'd, I'd say they'd be, you know, relatively good selections. They would work well. The saxifrage that uh, their friend is probably talking about is London Pride, which is quite a classic uh, old, very old fashioned plant, but nevertheless, it's evergreen. So, um, so it's, it has a very good place in the garden and it has sprays of pinky flowers um, in the early summer it's very good for shade so it is a good selection and so is our camilla mollis seeds itself its uh, other name is lady's mantle very pretty because it gets um, little drops of water when it rains and it's rather rather attractive um, if it's an open sunny spot then i would choose helianthemum which comes which uh, is, is a low growing alpine plant you'll find it on the alpine department uh, orange flowers pink flowers yellow flowers white flowers whatever color flowers you want uh, and silver foliage or green foliage and that makes a lovely mat and that will don't plant it too near the edge because it will spread um, a good two feet all the way around uh, that would be my probably one of my first choices um, and sedums so very fleshy succulent plants the sedums for all situations in the sense of height um, so there's some very low ground covering ones uh, fleshy leaves they come in purples and silvers and their flowers are white or pink uh, either in spring or sometimes later in the year as well so sedum something like ruby glow is a good one or uh, any of the cultivars or selections of sedum spurium would be good uh, back to the little shady areas um epimedium is a really nice choice for covering the edges 
I like the the low growing things you're suggesting, but I'm just wondering because you're doing exactly what they asked, whether there's a bit of visual trickery that could be pulled on here. So um, you're choosing low growing things that are near the path and that's going to draw the eye to those lovely things next to that not so lovely path so i'm wondering actually whether if we scoop out beds on either side perhaps not to make them too big have staggered beds going down in a scooped out shape down the garden path and then actually plant something a bit taller so even just things like um, roses or something like the um, purple leaf physocarpus they're going to be more like five, six foot, but, and they have the flowers on the top, but uh, you're actually going to be looking at those flowers higher up and not at the concrete. So um, you can choose what you like, but it might just have that visual effect of taking the eye away. John Dixon's written in about hedgehogs. How can I encourage hedgehogs in my small terraced house garden in Leicestershire? Do I need to leave food out for them in the colder months is also something he wants to know. Okay, so hedgehogs, they're not having a very good time of it at the moment. Their numbers have really declined in recent years. We don't know exactly why that is, but a lot of it is likely to be to do with habitat and places for them to live. So there are things that you can do to make your garden a friendly place. But actually, one of the first steps that isn't always the easiest um, is to link your garden up with your neighbours. Because hedgehogs have quite big territories and they need to roam quite far to get all the food they need in the night. So in a terraced house, you probably have a whole row of neighbours. And if you could somehow encourage them to leave small gaps in their fences, they only have to be um, maybe four inches tall because the hedgehogs can squeeze through them quite well. Um, You can also get these cute little hedgehog highway signs to label them so that people know that the hole's there on purpose and isn't just an accident. Then the hedgehogs will be able to roam through all the gardens um, and it will make make it a nicer place for them to live. And then within your garden, you can leave food out for them. Meaty pet food and water is the best options. Absolutely no bread and milk. That's really not good for their tummies. Um, And you can also, if you want to, provide um, a a shelter for them to hibernate in. You can buy these ready-made or you can make one yourself. And they usually look like a small hutch. um, But there should be quite a big gap between the door where they get in and kind of the far corner where they can curl up so that uh, no predators can reach a paw in and hoik them out. Why might he want to be encouraging hedgehogs into his garden? Well, hedgehogs are definitely uh, beneficial when it comes to gardens because they eat slugs and snails and and other bugs, although they will eat some of your worms as well. But they'll definitely overall be able to make a bit of an impact on your slug numbers. There's lots of societies that um, try to help out with hedgehogs and um, preserve them where possible and also help individual hedgehogs, especially if they're injured. One of the things to look out for is in the autumn time, if you see quite small hedgehogs still out and about, um, it might be that they're struggling to get enough food to hibernate. um, And there are organisations that will take them in and look after them. There's also um, a handy fact sheet on the um, RHS Wild About Gardens website, which you can um, download and lots lots of different activities that children can can do for hedgehogs as well. We've got a a message from Marlise Gross, who's in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and um, she's hoping that we can shed some light on one of her gardening problems. Uh, She's got a a beautiful hellebores that uh, she bought about five years ago, and she was told by the label that it was a Lenten rose. 
and she was expecting white flowers or possibly green flowers with pink details. It's in a shaded area and it looks absolutely gorgeous, lovely glossy leaves. It's getting a lot bigger, but she's never seen a flower. Uh, she really doesn't know what to do to make it flower and uh, she she's listening out for uh, some resolution to this problem. So it's great to have a gardening question from the States and um, I suppose it's trying to, when she talks about what kind of plant it is I suppose there's those two groups and the name Lenten Rose um, is sometimes misapplied so Lenten Rose usually means that it's something that was called Heliborus orientalis or more correctly now Heliborus cross hybridus what that really means is it's those ones with all the the range of colours. So we're talking from yellows to almost inky blacks, all those pinks, those speckled um, in the centre where some hold themselves up, others are nodding. These are different from the Christmas rose types, which are generally white. They have um, much darker, glossy leaves and they do tend to flower much earlier. So hence they're called Christmas roses, whereas Lenten roses relates to Easter and those type of um, Heliborus hybridus tend to come into flower February through into May. So it's possible that um, maybe she's not expecting the right things from the right plant. Um, so maybe that's part of the disappointment as well. Sometimes non-flowering plants is down to lack of nutrients. So potentially just a simple potash feed, like a tomato food, will help give the plant a boost um, and, and encourage it to flower. Um, this can be applied when the plant's in leaf and then hopefully next season you'll get um, a flower. Um, potentially also actually dividing the plants so it's probably a quite sizable plant now after five years and it's probably you know a little bit of a division in the springtime just might give it that, that little bit of encouragement it needs to produce a bloom and what about soil type what do we think is ideal for hellebores well woodland conditions really so a soil that keeps hold of its moisture through the summer as well uh, if if things don't if plants don't have enough moisture throughout the year um when they think about initiating flower buds, uh, it's quite interesting that the gap between the two times. So if you don't water something in it just after it's flowered, then that may be the time that it's initiating and deciding whether it's going to flower for you the following year. So, you know, you look at it the following year and think, oh, it's not, not flowering, but the damage was done a long, long time before. So consistent moisture and a uh, humus rich soil. So organic matter, leaf mould, make your own leaf mould from fallen leaves in the autumn or uh, very well rotted stable manure, anything like that. You can use that around the plant and the worms will do the job and take, take that down and continually improve the soil for you, which will help conserve the moisture. Lentils and roses often originate from places like Japan, going well back through their breeding process. And of course, that has a fairly consistent damp climate, as you're describing, for the, the woodland conditions. I think more on the, the New Jersey side, there's that uh, seesaw of the continental climate where it, it's cold and, and uh, co um, cold through the winter, but then very hot and dry through the summer as well. So um, it is making sure in some cases that they get water too. We've got a question here from Sebastian Edwards in Bromley um, and he says, Hello RHS advisors, I have a small garden and I want to replenish my 10-year-old raspberry plot. All the labels say you must not plant the canes in the same place with no reason why. So can I just add loads of organic matter to the existing soil? This problem is something called 
replant disease it, it covers a range of a range of plants but primarily roses that's what affects most people when you if if a rose dies or even if it doesn't die even if you just wanted to to move it or plant a different rose on the same site um we don't entirely know why it is but um it could be a build up of soil pathogens or soil pests but it seems to be it just doesn't seem to work putting another rose in the spot where a rose has been in the past. And to a lesser extent, raspberries can be affected. You, it might not happen every time, but uh, it is on our list of plants to avoid popping back in the same place. So if you only have that space, which often happens if you've got a fruit cage, then you can replace the soil, which is a, a massive job uh, and not one that uh, <clears throat> is, should be lightly undertaken. So that would be... That would be one way of, of mitigating uh, the, the problem. Um, you can add organic matter, and indeed you should add organic matter to, to the soil. The other thing you can do is try using mycorrhizal fungi. There are specific product, branded products. One of them is called Root Grow, and they actually support the growth of the plant and can help overcome uh, the, the replant disease problem. You don't actually want to, to add fertilizer to the soil if you're going to be using the mycorrhizal fungi. That's very, very important. Uh, it's easy just to throw in the uh, kitchen sink and metaphorically and think, right, I'll, I'll do everything I possibly can to overcome it. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we've had this at Wisley with our rose garden and um, we did replace the soil. Uh, so that would be your surefire way of solving the problem. But, you know, you might be lucky and find that uh, it, it's not a problem in your garden. It's not actually, it's not definite. Well, with roses, always, always take all steps you possibly can. We are talking about a small garden here. Yeah. It's much easier if you've got an allotment or a large garden because you can just replace the soil with another bit of the garden. Yeah. So if you're growing ornamentals uh, and you're, say, got cut flower border part of your allotment, you can just swap the soil from there and that would be absolutely fine. Um, in a smaller garden, it does create that more difficult challenge. So I would certainly have a go with doing what you can to improve the soil and with raspberries in particular drainage is often an issue so if you've got clay soil or poorly drained soil just make a little ridge and plant slightly higher up two three inches so that at least it or even up to six inches in fact but just so that it is better draining and therefore they stand a good chance of establishing the rhs gardening advice team if you're a member, you can contact the team by phone, post or email, or anyone can chat to us in person at the advice desks at our RHS flower shows. And if you aren't yet a member, why not join? You can find details of all the benefits of membership on our website at rhs.org.uk forward slash join. There's always plenty to see and do at our RHS gardens throughout the year. Half-term guarantees a flurry of activities, so there's plenty to do for all the family. This year we're celebrating that most British of subjects, the weather. Half-term at Wisley is packed with free family activities, celebrating our beautiful Butterflies in the Glasshouse event. Join us, whatever the weather, to create butterfly-themed crafts between the 11th and the 19th of February. Try a different free craft workshop at Rosemore every day between the 11th and the 19th of February. Join the garden weather detectives and experts from the Royal Meteorological Society for crafts, trails, stories and more at Harlow Carr between the 18th and the 26th of February. 
Come to Hyde Hall between the 11th and 19th of February for a fun week of weather-related crafts and activities. Explore the garden with our weather-themed trail or try your hand at welly wanging. Details of these and many other events are available on our website at rhs.org.uk forward slash event search. And finally, have you ever dreamt about transforming your love of gardening from a leisure activity into a profession? More and more adults are signing up for the diverse range of training courses, educational opportunities and apprenticeships offered by the RHS. So what are the benefits of studying horticulture and what opportunities are there to learn? We visited staff and students of the Educational Department here at Wisley to find out more. Where I work, Kirsty Wilkes, is on RHS qualification side. So they're the regulated qualifications that we offer. We offer qualifications from Level 1 through to Level 3. Um, our level one qualifications are more sort of geared, geared at school children um, or, or adults perhaps with, with learning difficulties and then our level two qualifications are geared at those that are looking to change career or, or just the general leisure learner perhaps looking to enhance their, their skills and knowledge which they can then apply in their own personal garden. We have 93 approved centres at the moment and they're constantly increasing so they're all around the um, UK and also in Ireland as well. I am Sue Moss, so whereas Kirsty manages the regulated qualifications that are run externally to the RHS, I run our professional qualifications which are internal. So all the professional training that's done at all our four gardens. At each garden we have apprentices who study at level two. They work in the garden for four days a week and go on a day release to college for one day a week, which is brilliant. Um, so they study for the RHS level two alongside the practical work that they get an excellent training in the garden and then at each garden we also run a level three qualification which is um that's a regulated qualification which is regulated through our qualifications department and we are the delivery center so we deliver those qualifications to our students who are also our employees so like the apprentices they also get paid and they work with us in the garden for the majority of their time and they also study as well so um but they study within the garden so we put on lectures lecture blocks all the students at all the gardens come to wisley for for three weeks in the year and they all study together and then they also do lectures at their own gardens um which is brilliant they do master classes with the garden team so they get those practical skills and they also do a phenomenal amount of coursework as well. Uh, you can then go on to study for our Master of Horticulture qualification, which is a degree level qualification. The candidates on there are not, um, they're not internal to the RHS, so they come from all over the world. Um, you have to have a level three qualification and you have to have four years experience in horticulture, one supervisory. So it's really for people <clears throat> who are really established within the industry. And then it's a three year programme by distance and blended learning, uh, which is very much geared at, at that sort of higher level management person in horticulture. So looking at garden managers, curators, that kind of thing. The courses really give you such a good broad grounding in horticulture that you can go on to pretty much anything you want in horticulture. So our apprentices, lots of them have gone on to work in different gardens or have come on and progressed to do the, the student programmes here. Our ex-RHS students are honestly everywhere in the industry they're they're horticulturists they're head gardeners they're working in education they might be in communities therapeutic horticulture publishing um i was a student at wisley that's how i started in horticulture um and my group are all over the place one of them has published four books um one of them works uh for the garden magazine it's yeah it's absolutely brilliant i'm tim i'm uh, the first year student at wisley doing the rhs diploma 
Um, on a day-to-day basis, um, we work in the garden from Monday to Friday, so it's like a normal working week. And then mm-hmm. our evenings and weekends tend to be when we do our, our coursework. Um, we learn plants, so we have a plant ident that happens every two weeks. And then during this time, we also have lecture blocks, so anything from, from propagation to garden history, um, we learn about. We do master classes as well. You know, the master class may be tree planting, so we, we have an expert that comes and teaches us the techniques and, and the theory behind it as well. Well, I was a plumber originally, so I'm a career changer. It wasn't really ticking the boxes for me. You know, plants and, and being outside and, and around nature was something that I was really passionate about. So I decided to career change. I was fortunate, fortunate enough to find an apprenticeship uh, just outside Oxford where I learned a lot of the, the, the basics of what I'm doing now um, and then I managed to progress into the RHS diploma. You know, I'm learning so much, that my plant knowledge, uh, the skills required to, to go out into the, into the industry and, and, and really make something of myself, it, you know, is what I'm getting out of it. I mean, the practical skills, the people skills, the management skills, which were really important. If you are interested in studying with the RHS, have a look on the website. That's a really good place to start. Um, There's lots of information there about our accredited qualifications that you can uh, study elsewhere in the country, not at an RHS garden. So there's lots of information there about where you could study and what the syllabus is that you would be studying. And then also information there about our apprenticeships, our School of Horticulture programmes and our MHOP programme as well. So if you've had a look at that and you're still not sure, there's email addresses on the website and by all means please just get in touch uh, and we'll try and have a chat with you and see where you can go from there. Uh, So if you would like to apply for an RHS apprenticeship get your skates on the uh, applications close for that at the end of uh, the beginning of March on March the 1st so that's for a start in August this year Um, and the MHORT applications will be open from May to August if you're interested in that. members of the Horticultural Education Department here at Wisley. You can find out more about the range of learning opportunities the RHS offers and details of how to apply on our website. For even more information and ideas, listen out over the next few weeks for a special edition of this podcast, all about the many ways you can get into gardening through RHS adult education programmes. That's all we have time for in this edition. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Jenny Bowden and all the podcast team, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress Robotic Lawn Mower, the lawn is actually looking better. 
The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the Rhydon. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 